Hello everyone and welcome to the Jim Croft podcast where I seek to build bridges between the parallel worlds of the creative arts and the solopreneur's path. When I first started this podcast one of the first names I wrote down as a dream guest was Josh Spector and so I'm buzzing to speak with him today. What I love about Josh is that he combines the innovative mindset of an entrepreneur with the non-conformism of great creatives. As he says, you don't stand out by trying to fit in. Josh is a prolific solopreneur with 28 products on Gumroad, the mastermind behind the For The Interested newsletter, which boasts 42,000 subscribers, and the host of the thought-provoking I Want To Know podcast. However, what really sets Josh apart is that few people are as concentrated on giving value per minute as he is. Today, you'll gain insights into his mindset, his one-person business strategies, and his creative process from creating courses, to building a newsletter, to fostering a positive mindset. On a personal note, inspired by Josh's advice, I launched my first lead magnet over Christmas, leading to 170 new subscribers in my Creative Insights newsletter. It was my best week ever so far, another example of how all the ideas, insights, and actionable tips I'm learning from the guests are having a real life impact. If you'd like to go deeper, then please subscribe. You can find the link in the show notes. For all of you who are starting podcasts, newsletters, or like me, giving YouTube a shot this year, I'm really excited to continue sharing the journey ahead. Okay, it's time to meet Mr. Josh Spector. Are you ready? Then let's dive in. Mr. Josh Spector, hello. Hey, thanks for having me. Josh, when I started the podcast earlier this year, you were one of the very first people I reached out. You were sort of a bit of a dream guest. And so it means the world to have you here. I, I appreciate it. And congrats on getting it up and running. And uh, you've, you've done the hard part. It's all downhill from here. Oh man, you know what? You gave me one of the one such a good lesson the first time I reached out to you. Because first of all, I was so chuffed that you did reply. And then you gave me a great roast, which was, Jim, if you're still there in six months, give me a call and we can talk. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's something that it's something that I started doing uh I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, year and a half ago, something like that is mm-hmm. you know, I would I would get a lot of requests to do people's podcasts and mm-hmm. I wanted to come up with some sort of way of like how do I decide like what to do, what not to do, that kind of thing. And, you know, it's really tricky because I like to sort of do as much as I can and help people as Mm -hmm. as much as I can. But then also all this stuff takes time. And and so I came up with this thing that basically for new for new podcasters, I would say to them essentially like I don't do any podcasts that haven't been around for at least six months. And if you get back to me and I'll be happy to do it. And what was, what's been interesting about it is there are definitely some people that have come back to me like you have, and I've done it, but there's a lot of people that haven't (laughs) and not because they don't still want me, but because six months later, they're not doing it anymore. Right. And I really valued it. And it also kind of gave me a sort of a pump because it was like something to work for. Because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I really want to speak to this man. So I, I really enjoy, enjoyed the, the test. And funny enough, it's one of the questions I have, I'd love to explore today, because how I look at you as, as an absolute master of how you, you run yourself as a business, but also with so many different things you do and with such consistency. So I think that sort of power of no is something that really would be really interesting to get to. However, to 
start with. I thought for the people from my side, from my audience who don't know about you, I thought maybe we could just give them a little introduction to sort of you are a creative entrepreneur. And I thought maybe we could just give them a, a short overview, Josh, just to bring in the ones that don't know into play. Sure. So basically, I help people grow their audience in business, and I do it through a few different ways. So one is I have a newsletter called For the Interested, which is literally a one-paragraph daily newsletter. And then on Sundays, I send a longer version. Uh, Again, all tips and advice, a mix of original stuff and curated stuff to help you grow your audience in business. Very actionable stuff. Uh, Then I have a podcast called I Want to Know. Uh, The format of that podcast is it's basically like recording free consulting. Uh, So people come on, they can ask me whatever three questions they have about their specific situation and what they're trying to grow. I give them advice and that's it. And then occasionally I'll have, I'll I'll do flip the script episodes where I have an expert on and I ask them the three questions. Then I have a product called Skill Sessions, which are a series of one-hour video presentations on a very specific topic. So for example, I have one called the product in a day creator, which is as it sounds, how to create a product in a day. Mm-hmm. I have one called the relationship builder, uh, which is about how to grow your uh, grow your network. I have one called the niche definer, which is a sort of series of exercises to help you clarify your niche, et cetera. Uh, If people want to check those out, they can go to joshspector.com slash sessions to see those. And then the last part of my business is I work as a consultant, right? So I help people one-on-one through both one-off calls and and occasionally some some ongoing stuff. But it's it's all the same, right? It's all Mm -hmm. simplifying growth for people. For me, when I look at your work, there's always this sense of value that you are giving. And it was a wonderful quote that I have from you, which is, You talked about being wired to others as meaning for you. And and I just, I found that it's such a powerful statement, this sense of actually being wired and something about this sort of relationship and this exchange. Was that always there for you? Where did that come from? Because I just just want to talk about the meaning because it's so easy to talk about all the whys and the do's and the rest of it. But I always get this sense that you actually just love it. And that, that interests me to speak with you about. Yeah. I mean, I do genuinely want to help people and I'm really big on providing value in everything that Mm -hmm. I do. And I Mm -hmm. also think, by the way, there's, it's interesting because there's two pieces of this, right? There's the one piece that it feels good and I genuinely like to to help people, right? But the other piece Mm -hmm. is I think it's actually start smart audience and business strategy. That the way you grow an audience, the way you grow a business is by providing value to people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I always talk. So I talk about value a lot and I get asked a yep. lot sort of how I define value. And to me, in 99.9% of cases, value is transformation. Right. Someone is at point A. They want to get to point mm-hmm. B. The value you provide through your content, your products, your services, whatever it is, is the bridge that gets them there. If there's no transformation, and this is a trap I see a lot Mm -hmm. of people fall into, if there's not a transformation, it's probably not valuable. It might be Mm -hmm. interesting, but it's not valuable. And I see Mm -hmm. lots of people creating things and sharing things that are interesting and then ultimately struggling Mm -hmm. to grow an audience or grow a business, and they're confused why. And it's because that transformation piece Mm -hmm. is missing. Damn, Josh, we are straight into the nitty gritty here because, like, one of my because <laughs> what one of my, this is one of the questions that I'm most excited to talk to you about is this 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 
the clarity of your definition between value and interest. And earlier in the year, when I was actually starting to follow your work, it's something that I really took on board. And I thought, okay, so I, my history is I come from the arts. I've, I've released albums, both on independence mm-hmm. and one on a major, pivoted into documentary. So I've always been kind of like, you know, deep in the arts. And the motivation or the thinking or the feeling as an artist is not always specifically about value. And I don't mean this in an egocentric type of way, but one is diving into something, into an idea in in oneself or spiritually or in society and the rest of it. And it's kind of like sort of what Joseph Campbell talks about, sort of following your bliss. And I suddenly thought when I started getting more interested in solopreneurism and how entrepreneurs go about their life, in particular with the sphere of the arts. How do you as an artist or a creative pursue a career that is much more in your hands and not to do with the gatekeepers of the world? And one of the things that following you that really sort of like blew my mind, I was like, okay, I've got all of this value that I have to give. Now I suddenly felt like, okay, am I, but I don't feel I'm being focused in actually delivering it. And so when you made this distinction about actually giving value, I started to really start adjusting it. And so I just wanted to to ask you the question, when it comes to an artist who's listening to this and they're, they're struggling and they mm-hmm. know they're good and they know they're doing great stuff and they're pursuing their life and their career and they're fired up, but they're just not getting the, the, the audience response. Can you just, what would be your advice to them about this difference between interest and value? Well, so here's, here's what I love. I love this. And I haven't really had a chance to sort of have this conversation specifically geared towards artists, but I think it's really an Mm -hmm. important one because I think there's some of what you said is based on a fundamental misunderstanding or assumption that is not true, right? Mm -hmm. The creation of any piece of art is an attempt at the creation of value where people get hung up is sometimes the value they're trying to create is for themselves and not for other people. They are trying to work through when it comes to art, their own issues. They're trying to express something they want to express. Whereas with business, it's very audience or customer focused. I'm trying to create value for them. Mm -hmm. With art, often we're trying to create value for ourselves. There's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with that. In that case, the, the transformation is within you. It's internal, Mm -hmm. right? You're Mm -hmm. making this piece of art to transform yourself in some way. Totally Mm -hmm. fine. There is still Mm -hmm. value there. It's just focused on you internally as opposed to externally. Now, Mm -hmm. here's where the problem comes. The problem comes when you're creating value for yourself, you're internally focused in your art, and then Mm -hmm. you get frustrated when other people don't want it when there's not a business. You didn't set out to create Mm -hmm. value for them. You set out to create Mm -hmm. value for yourself. Now Mm -hmm. that may ultimately create value for others and you may be successful, but you Mm -hmm. don't have the right to assume that, you know, I talk about this a lot of times when people ask me and they say, oh, well, I don't want to, I don't want to write on a certain niche or a certain topic. I want to write about whatever I feel like writing about. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what I say to that is awesome. Write about whatever you want, write for yourself, but don't get frustrated if no one else cares. Right? Absolutely. You and can't I, and I have think that it bo- you can't have it both co- ways. Completely. And I think that's the thing. It's I mean, also with artists, it's I mean, it's not a, it's 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 also not a, a selfish thing, but there is this 
this assumption that because the question that they're trying to figure out in themselves or one is trying to figure out in oneself is such a deep and pressing question, there's sometimes an assumption that the world will get it. And that leads on to another hang up that artists often have. I mean, artists, I'm saying artists, creators, musicians, you know, all, all of us in the creative arts. And it's often we don't share the 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 process as much as the product because we're hung up on this idea of perfectionism, mm -hmm. which I'd like to get to in a moment. But just to kind of go on in terms of my personal experience about what I've learned from you, Josh. So for instance, at the beginning of the year, I thought, no, I'm re I believe I've got this value in my head. And rather than thinking, right, I'm just, I'm just inverted commas, going to put it out through artworks and songs and the rest of it. I thought, no, I'm going to really make the effort in mm -hmm. order to start giving this out as message, as a degree of instruction. And the strangest thing happened for me was immediately when I really made the effort to consecrate these sort of abstractions into specific words, that suddenly there was a sharing of the posts that hadn't happened. You know, so like on Instagram, where my main mm -hmm. audiences was sort of one that got shared about, about a thousand times, which is very unusual. And the, the metric that I actually look at, and this is a very interesting thing for me, for any of the artists side who are actually looking, the metric people often look at is likes and shares. But actually the metric that I've learned to look at is the saved. Because if someone mm -hmm. is saving that post right, they are really like internalizing it and you've actually reached them. And, it, and it, so it really made a big thing in my mind because I was like, okay, if someone's valuing it, they're saving it. But if they're interested in it, it's like, oh, that's nice. That's made me feel a bit better. They're liking it, possibly sharing it. But it's a different, it's a different perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think too, it's important to say that, you know, in the creation of any, any kind of art, the chances are, you know, even though you may be focused internally, you're not the only one that's struggling with that thing or trying to figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. some of this is where it gets into the marketing and packaging of your art to other people. How mm -hmm. do you convey and put it in places where the people that are struggling with that same thing or are interested in that same thing, the same mm -hmm. thing, the same transformation that you're trying to work through or think through mm -hmm, in your, mm -hmm. in your art and your creations, how do you, you're not the only one dealing with that, right? So it's important to find those people and present it and give context for your creations in a way that they understand it. And, and context is a big point here too. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's an interesting thing that they, I used to work in the movie industry and they did studies that when they would do uh, test screenings of stuff or show people films, films always score lower when you don't tell people the genre before they watch it. Mm -hmm. When you mm -hmm. tell people the genre, it gives them context for what they're about to watch, which makes them more likely to enjoy it. Now, this doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you have to, you know, every, again, everyone pushes back and like, well, I don't want to just make, you know, this, I don't want to label it a comedy or a drama, or mm -hmm. it has all these elements of different things. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But the way you can make what you want, but the way you present it and package it is really, really important, right? And that the mm -hmm, packaging mm -hmm. and the presentation of your art and presenting it in a way that the people who will find it valuable resonate with it is really important. And I think a lot of people don't do that. They just make a thing and throw it out there and then figure whoever sees it will see it and, you know, et cetera. So that's the thing. It's about making the effort to to make the link, isn't it? And mm -hmm. I think it's kind of quite an interesting thing because I think sort of like, historically with artists like you know where the arts come from whoever you're looking at sort of you know whether it's in the 60s or whatever 
there was this great sense of mystery and the product was everything, you know, Sergeant Peppers comes out and, you know, it's just, there's so mm-hmm. much anticipation, the rest of it. Whereas now, of course, you put out something and it's kind of gone in a day. So actually the sort of the build up and the process becomes so very important, I think. So what's mm-hmm. your kind of, your approach personally in that kind of sharing behind the scenes, the process, that sort of building public philosophy? What's your, 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 mm-hmm. your, your thoughts on that? I tend to be, not always, but I I tend to be very focused on specific value to a specific audience. Mm -hmm. So even, which doesn't mean there aren't things that like, oh, I just want to create that because I feel like creating that, right? But even Mm -hmm. if I have something that it's like, okay, I want to create this thing, before I actually do it, I'm going to think about, besides me, who is this for? And Mm -hmm. how is it going to help them? And why are they going to care? And how is it going to provide value? Mm -hmm. And what's the transformation? And all of those questions, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm still creating what I want to create, right? I'll never Mm -hmm. create anything just because I'm like, oh, that person would want that or find it valuable, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't really want to do it, right? That's not, that's Mm -hmm. not a recipe for success. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not just going to make something without thinking at all about who it's for because that packaging, those, those little, and oftentimes they are little things, right? So I, I use this example, and this is sort of a random example, but it's a good example of how sort of packaging changes everything. So Lin-Manuel mm-hmm. Miranda years ago was on Twitter and he was posting every morning he would have a good morning tweet and every night he would have a good night tweet. And then he would mm-hmm. just say whatever, right? So it'd be good morning. It'd be your typical random celebrity tweet, you know, have a great day today, inspiring stuff, whatever, you know, but always good morning, good night, right? The good morning and good night were the packaging that took regular Mm -hmm. random tweets, his creations and made them seem more. It caught on Mm -hmm. and made him stand out on Twitter as like everyone loved, oh, Lin-Manuel's good morning and good night tweets, (laughs) as opposed to every celebrity that was just tweeting Mm -hmm. equally good, interesting stuff, but without the packaging. It caught on to such an extent that he ultimately published a book of good morning and good night tweets, right? (laughs) So the packaging and got mentioned in articles and the packaging Mm -hmm. made it unique, even though the actual creation itself was no different than what anyone else was doing. So I think Mm -hmm. that's where people get, people also are hesitant to sort of embrace packaging their stuff or, or sort of the marketing Mm -hmm. side of it because they think it's going to somehow mess it up. But basically you're just layering onto it in a way that's going to make it more more compelling and accessible and help people understand it makes it seem bigger than it is to be honest well i think that issue or not that that idea of presentation is something that really resonates with me and since the beginning of the year so i've i've been building up a slowly a newsletter list over the years but it was only this year that i thought right I really want to get deeper into this sense of value and, you know, within that, of course, sharing my journey mm-hmm. and my work and the rest of it, but, but making it much more about the exchange. And so I really got serious about consistency in my newsletter since the beginning of the year. So it comes out every Saturday and, and I, and I love it. And one of the reasons that I love it is as I've got more interested and, you know, in providing that value, it's awakened a whole new thing in my life, which is like you said about sort of caring about the other and the meaning. It's like, wow, okay, well this, this, capacity to go right you've got 
to this stage in your life, you've been through so very much in so many different ways and collected these skills. But what what what's the role of one's maturity as a human being? Well, I think it's that thing about saying, right, you're going to start sharing your knowledge. And the thing that I've loved about a newsletter, and this is, goes on to my next question, is it makes you go into the effort of packaging those ideas in that sort of coherent ways as a sort of vehicle of message. And so I'd just love to know about, for the interested, maybe you could tell people about what it is, about what the ethos is behind it, when you started it, just a little overview about the, your, your own personal newsletter mm-hmm. before we go on to the, the larger role of what a newsletter can do for artists and creators. Sure. So I started it in 20, well, first of all, I've had all sorts of newsletters over the years, uh, I, you know, that I would start and stop and whatever. I started for the interested in 2016, so a little over seven years ago. Mm-hmm. It was originally a weekly newsletter where I would basically curate links and summaries. The The initial premise was much broader than it's become now, but it was basically... I think initially I described it as like ways to learn, do, and become better at life, art, and work, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, that's like everything, right? So it was, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. And so it was a combination of articles and resources I found, and I would usually write an original blog post each week. So a blend of sort of original mm-hmm. stuff and curated stuff. After about, and published it every Sunday morning. After about four or five years, it it progressively niched down as I niched down my business and became a little Mm -hmm. less self-improvement-y and much more focused specifically on audience and business growth and and actionable Mm -hmm. tactics. It's interesting in in those early years, I was sharing some stuff that was just interesting and Mm -hmm. that I no longer... (laughs) Now it's like, now the way I think about anything that I'm going to share is I literally look at it and I go, okay... Is there, what can someone do after they read this? And if there's Mm -hmm. not something for them to do, right, I won't share an article just about like the state of the creator economy Mm -hmm. because what are you going to do? Well, there's no wasted time with Josh Spector, right? Right. No. So, (laughs) you know, but, but what I will share is like, you know, how to write better YouTube titles or something Mm -hmm. like that, right? Something it's like, I consume this and now I can do something with it. But after about four or five years of that weekly newsletter, I do a lot of consulting and I work with a lot of people and help them with newsletters. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I would always say to people is, you know, I I would talk, you know, I remember very specifically, I had a comedian client and he was like, I don't want to do a newsletter. Like, I don't want to have to write a thing every week and do a whole thing. (laughs) And, And I remember saying to him, and I would say this to lots of people, I was like, there's a lot of assumptions about what a newsletter has to be that are incorrect. Mm -hmm. All it is, is a value delivery mechanism. And I remember Mm -hmm. saying to him, your quote unquote newsletter could be one paragraph a week that you send to people and you say, Hey, here's a funny video I found on YouTube. And people think you're funny and they're curious to know what you think is funny and they would love it. And it would be simple. Right. So, and I would always say that. And I would then I even say, I would say like, and to be honest with you, it being that short, it'd probably work even better than a longer newsletter because everyone's busy and everybody's whatever. Right. So after saying that over and over again, I was like, well, I've been saying this like it's fact, maybe I should actually test it. So I started a side newsletter called the daily graph. And the idea was one paragraph a day, basically a paragraph and a link. Sometimes it was only a Mm -hmm. sentence and people loved it. 
And so then I collapse that into my For the Interested newsletter. And so now For the Interested is every weekday, I send literally a one paragraph, sometimes one sentence newsletter. And then on Sundays, I send a, I send a longer one that has five curated things. But yeah, so that's sort of a crash course in my newsletter. Well, I love the way that you have this sort of revolutionary mindset, if you like, because you're always flipping the norm somehow. That's something that I really enjoy about following your work, both on the podcast and newsletter. So I thought I'd just drop in a revolutionary quote and just get your reaction okay. to it for fun, Josh. So this is Rosa Luxemburg. And she said, freedom is always the freedom of the one who thinks differently. Mm-hmm. So how does Josh Spector go about the process of thinking differently? So it's a great question. I think there are two there are two things here. So one is just across sort of everything I I create and and a fund sort of fundamental belief that I have, which mm-hmm. is you don't stand out by trying to fit in. So mm-hmm. The first thing is, you know, I, I feel like everyone looks at something, and this isn't just in the creator world, this is everywhere, right? They look at something that's successful and then they go run to copy it. But almost mm-hmm. anything that's successful right. and breaks out does so because it's different. So they always mm-hmm. take the wrong lesson, right? The lesson <laughs> is at, the lesson is actually that thing popped because they zagged when everyone else was zigging, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The lesson is not go do exactly what they were, what they were doing, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing. I I believe unique is a competitive advantage. So I'm always trying to do whatever I'm doing, try to do it a little differently. The second thing is one of the ways to do that is I'm a huge believer in the importance of format and unique Mm -hmm. format. So almost everything I've created, right? So for example, my newsletter, there's a million newsletters that share curated stuff about, you know, audience and business growth and et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. So how can I do, what can I do with a format that's different, right? There's not a million newsletters that are one paragraph, one sentence newsletters, Right. right? So immediately it stands out. My, when I decided to launch a podcast, the obvious thing is have guests on, interview them, do the, do the usual thing, mm-hmm. right? I yep. said, no, I'm going to have people on ask me questions. Yep. I'm going to have it be only, you know, and again, this is where I, this goes back into the packaging, right? So is there a difference between, besides people interviewing me, right? Is there a difference between that and a typical interview show? Like, no, but by saying I'm only going to have three questions, suddenly it's different. Right. Mm-hmm. So formats and and so both of those things, right? So the importance of, of being unique, the importance of using format as a way to be unique. And then I think the third thing is I am always my overall goal with everything I do is how can I give people as much value per minute? I'm mm-hmm. always trying to be concise. I'm always trying to condense things, you know, and I'm always looking at things and going, well, this, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves when I would listen to podcasts is you'd have some expert on, let's say they're a, whatever, let's say they're a, you know, marketing expert and you're tuning in to listen to their advice. At least I am. I'm tuning in to listen to their advice on marketing for them to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. It'll be, let's say a one hour show. And the first 25 minutes is them talking about their background and what they did in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I'm like, I don't care about that. So when I launched the podcast, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm not, Get, I only want it to be like literally my podcast intros are like 
maybe a minute. I have a three second description of who the guest is. And I go, well, what's your first question? And we get into it. Right. So that's yeah, I another find thing is. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I find it amazing how you do that because it's really masterful in, in your podcast. So first of all, I love the format, people coming in. The reason I love it is because it's always fresh because people have slightly mm. different variations or iterations mm -hmm. of different types of things and they're coming from different industries. So it keeps it fresh. So I really recommend everyone to check out Josh's podcast. And the other thing is you're so good at keeping a conversation moving and it's almost like it's almost like instructional. Like It's like, right, next question and we move on to it. Mm. And and this is something that I think that certainly <laughs> I struggle with and a lot of artists struggle with is this kind of capacity or tendency to, to be too long-winded. And you have this amazing capacity to be really short, focused to the point in everything you do. And so at what point did you realize that? Because I mean, say for instance, with newsletters, right? I love to write the newsletter, but very often in a week, I will, I'll be enjoying it, but suddenly it will be going on and on. I'll be like, man, you're going on and sure, you're really into it and there's loads of ideas and it's fun and enjoyable, but it's like, you've you got, you got to do the, the rest of the society of the things that you have to do. So when it comes to this kind of sense of brevity and moving life mm -hmm. along, which you are such a master at, what are your sort of like, three tips that you would give to people about a philosophy of moving their day along and mm -hmm. including a, a, a habit or two, just a little bit of advice about how you do mm -hmm. that. So I think before I jump into that, I think there's one thing that's important to say here, right? There is no, there is no one quote unquote right way to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So it's what it's about is about alignment and understanding what you're optimizing for, right? So I've chosen to optimize for value per minute for quick, you know, mm -hmm. concise, mm -hmm. sort of minimalistic, simple, like let's get in, let's get out, let's get people mm -hmm. moving with their mm -hmm. day, right? That's yep. a choice. You know, the truth yep. is I could go in the opposite direction, Right. Sure. And I could write long and have three hour podcast episodes and have leisurely conversations and backstories mm. and all that kind of stuff. One is not necessarily better than the other. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing, but what you want to do is you want to make a choice because you and message that choice so that you're attracting the people that want that thing. Right. Lots yeah. of people, I sit here and I go, I don't like when people spend, you know, 20 minutes talking about someone's backstory, like just get to the stuff. But lots of people mm -hmm. love that right? That's mm -hmm. fine. There are different shows yeah. for them. So I think the first thing is understanding what is it that you're actually optimizing for. So if you are, if you do want to sort of go my model and optimize for brevity and conciseness and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, you need to be clear about what it is that you're trying to accomplish with whatever you're creating and doing. A mm -hmm. lot of times that meandering is they're not sure where they're going or what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. They're like, we're going to just find it, which is fine. And yep. that can lead to some cool and interesting things. But for example, on my show, when I have a guest on, they've, they've, and by the way, if anyone wants to go on, come on my show, you can apply at joshspector.com slash questions and they submit their questions. So I'm yep. not getting on the show and I've, I know what they're going to ask. And I've already thought through what my answers are going to be. I don't know mm -hmm. all the details and we're still going to explore stuff and stuff is going to come out but I know where I'm going. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I also know in my own mind that like, okay, there's going to be three questions. 
We're going to spend roughly 10 minutes on each of them. Mm -hmm. That's what this show is going to be. Now, sometimes some episodes are 35 minutes and some episodes are 60 minutes, right? Like it does vary. There, there is, there is room, there is room in there to, to go different places, but there's a level of sort of preparation, but also intention. And I think Mm -hmm. if you don't have an intention for what you're trying to do, it makes it really hard to sort of be concise and, and be whatever. The other thing is when you create something, if you're looking to sort of tighten it up, you know, first of all, I have a lot of experience in this. My, I studied journalism in college. Yeah. I worked in the comedy industry. If you think about stand up, that's all about sort of precision of words. I was a huge fan of hip hop music forever. That's all about precision of words. Mm-hmm. So I don't mm-hmm. think it's coincidence. When I look at journalism, comedy, and rap music, I don't think it's a coincidence that my style is very condensed, packed in, yep. uh, you know, a- approach to it, right? So all of those things sort of play into it. But the other thing is everything can be reduced. So my favorite, for example, my favorite writing tip is whatever you write, when you think you're done, you've edited it, you're ready to hit publish, do a word count. And now go force yourself to uh, delete at least 10% and ideally 20% of the words. (laughs) I guarantee you every, it's the simplest writing tip because every single person can do it. Whether you've written something long or short or whatever you've written, whether it's a speech or an article or a newsletter or whatever it is, right? But what happens is the way most of us edit our work is you write something, you're editing it. And with each thing you're asking yourself, is this good? Do I need it? And your Mm -hmm. bias is Mm -hmm. always going to go to, yes, that's why you put it in there in the first place. But -hmm. when you flip it and go, I have to delete X amount of words. Now you're not asking, is it good? Now you're asking, what is the least good of what's in here? And it makes it much easier to eliminate stuff. And and again, Mm -hmm. I do it with everything I write. uh, And I'm still to this day, even though I know it works, every time you're shocked because you're like, wow, I thought this was really concise, but now it's better. I had Jay Klaus on the podcast and he talks about this very much as well. And his podcast is, you know, it's very, very masterful. Mm-hmm. And he he does a lot of editing with it. He really mm-hmm. squeezes the format. And, you know, similar to your po- podcast, usually between sort of 40, 50 minutes, sometimes a bit shorter. And it's a wonderful format. And that's something I really enjoy. And but just to move on from that into this, so a couple of different directions I'd love to jump in. So yeah. first of all, in terms of when you are creating something, there's a great quotation. This, uh, this is about publishing. It's about consistency and it's about getting stuff out right. So something that I read from you is I'm, if I'm going to do a blog for two hours, I'm going to hit publish and I'm going to iterate afterwards. And I found this sort of very interesting as something that I've discovered as I've got more interested in the entrepreneurial and the hacking world and the coding world and the business Mm. world and the solopreneur world is just being sort of very tactical towards a a deadline. And I'm going to create this and then I'm going to damn well ship it come what may. And this is of course, there are artists out there who do this, but it's a pretty sort of, it's, a, it's not really a, a, a way of a, an approach that artists have. I think that the Beatles were so productive because they had the pressure from the, the record company that they just had to be getting out. And I think that's one of the pressures that made them such a great band. And so I just wanted to kind of, 
get a little bit more because you're so consistent in your publishing, mm -hmm. but I feel that there's a secret behind your capacity to be so disciplined with that scheduling. And it's perhaps not being over perfectionist. And I just, I wonder what your sort of philosophy in terms of, of shipping something, getting something made and then getting something out is. Yeah, I, I love this. Uh, I love this topic because I also think it is something that lots of people struggle with. And I, I have a few different sort of thoughts about this. So the first is I think that lots of artists tend to think that constraints inhibit creativity. And mm -hmm. I actually believe, strongly believe that con constraints enable creativity. Mm -hmm. So for example, what stalls people out is the sort of, everyone thinks they want this creative freedom. Right. They don't want to be in a box, but my advice mm -hmm. is that you should draw your own box, right? That, that actually is, that is actually the key to being more creative mm -hmm. and being more productive mm -hmm. as a creator. Mm -hmm. So a few examples of this, right? So one thing is if I hand you a piece of paper and say, draw something, it's sort of paralyzing. If I hand you a piece of paper and <laughs> right, say, yeah. even if you, whether you're an art, artist or not, I hand you a piece of paper and say, draw something. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, it takes a second, right? Mm -hmm. If I hand you a piece of paper and say, draw a cat, you've started drawing right away, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So that, that's the idea of like, okay, how can I create a box for myself? Another quick mm -hmm. example Great. Here, or story. Lauren Michaels, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, he says, Saturday Night Live doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's Saturday night at 1130. Right. Like Love it's it. your, your art, your creation Amazing. is never yeah. going to be ready. And once you, once you understand that, right. And it can always yeah. be improved and tweaked and whatever. Once you yeah. understand that it becomes easier to ship. Right. Yes. There's a, uh, there, there's, so there's the Lorne Michaels thing. The other, th so I'm a big believer in giving yourself those deadlines. And, and the other thing that mm -hmm. helps you do this is because perfectionism obviously gets in the way, right? Right. And I think it's really important to understand and wrap your head around and truly get to a place where you truly believe and understand and absorb with every bone in your body that perfect does not exist. Right. Especially in art. Perfect mm -hmm. for who, perfect for what, there's no such thing. Mm -hmm. So once you truly understand and believe that perfect doesn't exist, it allows you to go, well, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Why, why yeah. am I, I'm sitting here and I'm tinkering and I'm whatever, and I'm chasing this, but perfect doesn't exist anyway. So, you know, and then one last thing that from Rick Rubin, who's another sort of like, idol of mine. And, and it's interesting when we were talking before about sort of the min, uh, minimalism and, and all that kind of stuff and reducing, you know, on those early albums, it, they didn't say produced by Rick Rubin, they say reduced by Rick Rubin. <laughs> he, he is a perfect example of sort of the reduction of stuff, but mm -hmm. he has something, you know, he's worked with so many incredible artists and, you know, he would say he's, you know, he, he often works with artists who get to this point where they're forever tinkering with the song. They, they have problems shipping, right? They're trying to, it can always be better. It can this, that, or the other. And he tells this story where he would, you know, would bring an artist in and he would say to them, you know, look, we've been working on this a long time. We've tried a million things. It's not, it's never going to get better. Mm -hmm. We've reached the point where it's never going to get better. It's just going to get different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we can keep tweaking and we can keep doing things 
But again, Mm -hmm. this is a different version of perfection doesn't exist, but you're no longer improving this thing. You're just making it different. So let's pick one, let's put it out and let's, let's move on. And I think there was along with that story, I forget exactly what artist it was, but he, you know, they'd been working on something forever and the, the guy came in the next day to work on it. And he sat down with him, I think in the morning and said, we're finishing this song today. We can do whatever we want all day. At the end of the day, it's over. Wherever we are, we are, and then we're moving on. And I think that's, you know, those are all, it's, in, it's being intentional about it, right? You have to want to do mm-hmm. it in order to do it. I, I love this idea that there's a freedom in the act of shipping as well, because mm-hmm. one of the reasons we don't release stuff is because we're hoarding and things get more and more and more. And then the idea of perfection gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So when it comes to an artist who's struggling to ship something or, or even during the day, let's talk about uh, three Josh Spector tips about how they should use the act of shipping on a daily basis in order to free themselves towards actually getting to that artistic vision. Let's, you know, call it the the album or the finished mm-hmm. painting or the course you're creating if you're a solopreneur or whatever it is. What would be your three actionable tips about how to go about that in the day? So the first one would be to understand that shipping is not the end, that shipping is a step in the process. Right Mm -hmm. now, it's a step in the process towards another creation. It's a step in the process of that creation. Just because you put it out doesn't mean you're done with it. There's still promotion. There's still marketing. There's still a million different things. Yeah. It's a step in your bigger journey, right? Mm -hmm. There's things you've learned from that and from the shipping of it that influence Mm -hmm. the next thing. I think a lot of what holds people back from shipping is that fear of it feels like an end. And understanding yeah. like, okay, it's it's not an end. The second tip I would say for to ship more regularly is to get in the habit of shipping. Right. The more often you ship, the more comfortable you become shipping, right? Mm-hmm. Can you create something where as opposed to like, okay, I take these long times making something And let's say it's an album, right? You're not going to make an album in a day. You could, but you're most likely not going to make an album in a day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But could you make, could you create a riff a day that you Mm -hmm. put out on social media, right? Is there a micro thing? Could you do something so you're just in the habit of putting something in the world on a frequent basis so that when it comes time to release the album or release the book or release the whatever, you know, you're not sitting there going, I haven't released anything in a year and a half. And now it seems like there's a lot of pressure on this thing, right? It's a muscle. Shipping is Mm -hmm. a muscle and you need to, Mm -hmm. you need to practice it and you need to, to work it out. And then the last thing I would say to get better with shipping is, A lot of what holds people back from shipping is obviously a fear of failure and a fear of rejection. So Mm -hmm. develop that muscle, right? Mm -hmm. There's, and I forget what it was. I think, I don't, maybe a TED talk. I think it was maybe a TED talk, but there's a video where a guy talks about, uh, he set a goal for a number of rejections and he wanted to be rejected every day. And he literally just made this list of things. But what he yeah. was actually doing was trying to get more comfortable with rejection so that he wouldn't was, be scared. 
it was at the restaurant, right? He would go and see. Yeah, well, Noah Kagan's done that. He would ask for discounts all the time. But it's really powerful, right? And I and I think with all three of these tips, the the underlying piece of it is to identify what is holding you back from shipping. Mm-hmm. And sort of desensitize yourself to those things. Find other ways to sort of build the muscle of of shipping. And and I guess I'll give one last one too. The last one Please I would do. say is is to understand that when you don't ship because you're afraid of failing, all you're doing is guaranteeing your failure. You're removing any chance of success by not shipping, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the only guaranteed way to fail is to not ship it. So yeah, I think yeah. once you realize that you can maybe sort of spin it and, and, you know, play, <laughs> invert your mind games on themselves in some weird inception uh, way. I love it, Josh. You know, what I love about speaking with you on the podcast is that, you know, you, you know, I'd often feel like I'm really putting someone on a point and I'm saying, right, give me three actionable tips, Josh, you know, be like, okay, that's not such a cool move with you. You're just like straight down into the nitty gritty. So like so much respect. And one of the things, so it's really interesting. So today I did your new course, the, the, the solo mm-hmm. premier simplifier. Congratulations. Brilliant course. And I loved it. Cause it's like, right. $25 bought it one hour packed full of value just so much helpful stuff one of my pain points josh is that i am i'm i'm a musician historically i'm still a musician but i was full-time for years and then i pivoted because money was tough into film and photography built up a freelance business gone very well oh i gotta give you this bit of news man i rolling stone wrote to me today and they said, you've got to come down and do a video of Brian Adams. I'm going to be in a room with Brian wow. Adams. So I just, nice. <laughs> just cool. as a little credit to fame, right? Yeah, it's really yeah. fun. But, but the funny thing is, Josh, when I got the mail, it was just, it's so funny how the world speaks. So I was like, I was going right next year. I'm taking less work because I really want mm-hmm. to focus on on, my, my, on making a business, you know, in, including putting out more of my own artwork mm-hmm. together. But especially one of the things I want to do is create my first digital course. So I went on to your courses and I got it. And I was just, because I've had this on my mind all year to make this damn digital course. And I went on to your site and I was like, Josh has got 28 different courses on Gumroad. And then I downloaded it and I was like, wow, I I so admired the fact that there was no frill, there was no Mm -hmm. fluff. It was just Josh and value. And you put it all, you just gave it away in an hour. And I thought, wow, that is such a lesson to ship because I've got all the cameras. I know I've got mm-hmm. the knowledge. I, you know, I'm struggling with time, but you know, you've always can make the time. So for me, actually, just that was a real actionable lesson. Just simply going, this is how you do it. That's how you become an entrepreneur. It's that capacity for action, right? Yeah, and I think also people, you know, it's so easy to overcomplicate things. Mm-hmm. And they think, you know, it's funny. I've talked to people about creating different types of of products to sell to their audience or or whatever their expertise. And, you know, they think whether it's a course or some sort of product that need, they think it needs to be this elaborate big thing. Right. And Mm -hmm. I remember talking to someone once and I was like, look, you have expertise about this subject. Here's your, here's your course. Here's your product. Pick someone to interview you. Get Mm -hmm. on Zoom. Let them interview you and pull out all the knowledge that you have on this subject. Get really Mm -hmm. specific. Don't talk generalities. Mm -hmm. Don't say like, you need to get more engagement on social media. Like talk about how to exactly how to Mm -hmm. do it. Stop the record button at an hour or an hour and a half or two hours or whatever. 
You don't need mm-hmm. to edit any of it. You've just done your course. Upload yeah. it to a sales page, to Gumroad, whatever, and sell it. You created your whole course in an hour, two hours, whatever, in live real time. You don't need a camera crew. You don't need a fan. You don't need eight <laughs> different modules, 30 different worksheets. Like no one wants that anyway. Like what matters yeah, yeah. is the value of the information, right? And yeah. I'm not saying that that's like you can't do those other things. That's fine too. Yeah. But I think people get so hung up of like it doesn't – the hard part is – the knowledge, the expertise, sure. the, the that kind of stuff, right? Again, the rest mm-hmm. is is just the packaging, and and ultimately, you know, it's funny. I, I talk about this even with free content and, and social media content. You know, if you take something like Instagram, people would get obsessed with pretty pictures and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I was like, the thing that makes a post work is the under on any platform is the underlying idea. Right. I've had posts, some of the most successful posts I've ever posted, not just for me, but for clients. For I used to run digital media for the Academy of Motion Pictures and the Oscars. Some of the most successful posts were literally like a photo of a post-it note with something written on it. Crazy. Because Crazy. it's the underlying message that drives the value of that is what drives mm. the success. And it's the same thing with any product, right? And and you see people get too focused on the other. Because by the way, the most highly produced, amazing course ever isn't going to work if the information in it isn't valuable. Right, you know? right. Or another example of this is with newsletters, right? I get asked all the time, what platform should I use for my newsletter? Should I use mm-hmm. Substack? Should I use ConvertKit? Should I use Beehive? Should I use whatever? And my answer is is always, that is the single least important decision and factor in your the success of your newsletter when it comes to podcasts okay so with with like a podcast for instance just if pivoting on into that because mm-hmm. i know that we've, we've got limited time and i just I'm, I'm enjoying so much and there's so many things i want to ask you so with podcasts for instance going back to this sense with time and how you deal with it so if you're doing a flip the switch podcast mm-hmm. how do you do your research josh because for, for instance you had a wonderful podcast with danny miranda and one of the one of the things that i really loved that danny said we well, look i did this really weak podcast where i just didn't do enough research and i thought i could just wing it and i just completely found out that was early and then later on he did far too much for another podcast and he found it was totally not in the moment and of course you want to do your research for someone who's coming on the rest of it so for me it's like i I do go in deeks it matters a lot to me and but for you what is your process like do you give yourself like right i'm going to research this for two hours and then and then free form it or what's exactly your approach with those flip the switch so okay so the first thing is going back to what i said constraints right? Mm-hmm. My podcast is three ah. questions. So I know I only got to come up with three questions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's the first thing, right? I know I'm not going to... Go ahead. But but including a flip the switch. So when Danny comes yeah. on, are you still... Th- I'm oh, asking really? him so- three questions. Now there that's will be amazing. follow-ups, yeah, right? That's there will be follow-ups within our, within our conversation, but I know I'm only going to ask him three questions. Just like they send me the questions in advance, I'm going to send him the questions mm-hmm. in advance. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, this is yes, there is something to the freeform element of it. I have no idea what you're going to ask me, and that leads yeah. to interesting things. But there's a reason 
for example, most Hollywood productions, like when you go on a talk show, they know ahead of time what's going to be talked about, right? So mm-hmm. when I have the mm-hmm. questions in advance and people are asking me questions, it allows me, ultimately, it's about the end product. So if I have right. some time to think about it, I can come up with better answers and examples. And I find the same thing with a guest, right? If I tell them what they're going to, you know, again, but this is for what I'm producing. I'm not saying by any means that you should always send everyone the the, the questions. The second thing is I know that my goal is always actionable advice, right? So I know that whatever the questions are that I ask them, I want to set them up to give answers that someone's going to be able to do something with. So I'm Mm -hmm. not going to, because again, that's the premise that I'm going for. So I'm not going to ask them, what's your opinion of this? I'm going to ask them, how do you do this, right? How should someone do this? So for example, I'm going to have on a flip the script episode, Brennan Dunn, who is an expert in email segmentation and automation and that kind of stuff. So I didn't do, first of all, I'm booking people that I'm familiar with. So I know, you know, it's not like he's, you know, I know a bit about him. So I'm not going and doing any really extensive research because Mm -hmm. I don't really need to, because my goal is to get advice from him on how to do stuff. The beginner (laughs) mindset actually helps Brilliant, right? So for example, the questions I'm planning to ask him, the first one is going to be something along the lines of this. So I say, obviously, there's a ton of cool stuff you can do with segmentation and automations, but I think people often get intimidated by that. So I'd like to start with an incredibly simple approach. Let's say someone has a newsletter and they're going to send a three email welcome sequence to new subscribers. What would you recommend they do with each of those three emails and when should they schedule them to send? That, there's no way that answer isn't actionable right? Because the question draws out an actionable answer. The other thing you'll notice is the level of specificity. Mm -hmm. Give me, there's going to be three emails in the sequence. What should each of them be? I don't just say, Hey, what should they do with their welcome sequence? Right. Because I don't want, I want to make sure that I'm getting specific advice and not a Mm -hmm. general like, well, welcome sequences should be this or that. Like, what are the three things? That's question one. Question two is when it comes to segmentation, your segments are only as valuable as the information you use to create them. What do you think are the three most valuable data points to get on your readers? And what's the best way to go about getting that data? Right? Super specific. He's going to have to name three things. And not only that, going that layer deeper of like, oh, not just what what should you get, but how do you actually get it? Well, thanks, Josh. And I think the big takeaways for me is one, using limitation two, being very specific, but also trusting yourself, right? Because you are trusting yourself that you, as you are feeling relaxed, you're going to go into it and you're going to keep it moving. Just going back to putting one's message out into the world as an artist or as a solopreneur with a newsletter, if someone's not using a newsletter, what are three reasons why a musician or an artist, solopreneur should be using a newsletter and embracing this as something that they're just missing out on? What are the reasons? So the first is it's the single strongest connection you can have to your audience. And what that means is even the social platforms know this. That's why they want to send you email notifications all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they believe that it was easier to reach you on social, wouldn't they just mm-hmm. do that? Yeah. <laughs> the, truth is, the truth is your social followers, if you're lucky, you're going to get 10% organic reach. So mm-hmm. most of your social followers are not seeing anything you're posting. If you have mm-hmm. a decent email list, you're pro- you can you know certainly realistically get a 50% open rate. 
So that's a massive difference. You know, to, to be honest, my podcast, the by far the biggest driver of downloads and views to my podcast is my newsletter. It's just mm-hmm. the best way to, it's the best way to reach people. So mm-hmm. that's the, that's the first reason. The second reason would be it's a platform you own. So mm-hmm. you're not at the mercy of social platforms that whose algorithms can change, mm-hmm. who can go away, who can whatever, right? You, mm-hmm. that, that's a super powerful asset. And then let's see the third reason. Well, the third reason I would say is maybe just the flexibility, right? You mm-hmm. can do whatever you want. Again, it's a value delivery mechanism. So you want to send a video, mm-hmm. send a video. You want to yes. send an image, send an image. You want to send a link, send a link. Whereas these social mm-hmm. platforms, their algorithms, you know, you can post links on social, but the algorithms aren't going to show them to anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, that that flexibility is really powerful. You don't have to feel constrained or make choices based on what the algorithm wants. You can do what you want. Do you see it as an act of faith and commitment in your own career? Because let's say you're about to get started and you're like, oh, I've only got four subscribers. But it's like, if you're serious about what you do, is it not about saying, right, okay, I've got 10 years ahead. I've got 20, I've got 40 years ahead for my career. And it's like, I will just do this as a consistency. So if someone is is, is on the fence, they're like, well, I'd like to do it. But yeah, it's great for Josh. He's got 50,000 subscribers. What's your argument to that person with the four subscribers about why to stick in the game? Well, it's not going to grow if you don't start and stick in the game. First of all, the, the, the other, the other thing that I would say is to understand that, you know, everybody starts from zero. Mm -hmm. You don't get a thousand subscribers. You get one subscriber a thousand times, Uh which is a really important mindset. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking for this sort of mass thing and that's not how it works. The other thing that I didn't mention before that I think is really important and why people should have newsletters is email is a intimate and two-way platform, unlike social. So on social, everything that you post, no matter what it is, is also the person that's seeing it in their feed is base, is also being influenced by how many likes does it have? How many comments does it have? You know, mm-hmm. Did other people say this sucks? Mm-hmm. Whereas in their inbox, they're one-on-one with your content. They're making mm-hmm, up their mm-hmm. own mind yep. whether or not they think it's good and interesting. Yeah. Also, when they reply to you, they don't have to reply to you. It's not everyone else seeing it. So you will find that the replies and the interactions you get over email, like I said, are much more intimate and much more valuable. It's a one to mm-hmm. it's it's even though it's one to many, it feels like a one to one platform. And when they, it's, I'm amazed at times where I'll send an email to my whole list and I'll get replies from people who genuinely feel like and act like I just sent it to them. And I'll be taken aback sometimes because I'm like, do they really think that like, they're the only one that got this? But I think it speaks to that relationship. Whereas Mm -hmm. on social media, unless you're doing a direct message, which is a whole other thing, you know, in your social media post, everybody knows you're broadcasting to to everyone and it doesn't feel, you know, they know if they're going to reply or say something to you, everyone else is going to see it. It's a totally different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think most artists like the idea of a of a closer connection and relatively sort yes. of intimate relationship with their with their audience. Mm-hmm. And email allows that in a much better way than social. So I've started it. What are my three levers for actually growing the damn thing? One is you need to 
get clear on the specific value and the specific audience it's for and your mm-hmm. messaging on mm-hmm. your sign up page when you talk about it when you promote it needs to reflect that mm-hmm. it can't just be hey get the gym newsletter and see what i have to talk about <laughs> right it's like you know it's funny you'll see a lot of sign up pages where they're the description of the newsletter is what the newsletter is as opposed to what the value is so mm-hmm. it's not oh i share links to this it's i share you know, I'm giving you stuff, the result of them getting the information from you, what's the benefit, right? Mm -hmm. How's it going to help people, right? Mm -hmm. I don't say, Mm -hmm. oh, I share links about whatever. I say, you know, it's going to help you grow your audience in business, right? So that's, Mm -hmm. that's really important. And this gets back to sort of the, the packaging thing. The second thing is cross promotions with getting in front of other people's audiences, uh, mm-hmm. is really, really helpful. And there's a lot of ways to do that. There's, mm-hmm. you know, recommendation programs within a lot of these email platforms now, mm-hmm. but also just manual outreach yep. to people that have a similar audience. And, and by the way, it doesn't have to be newsletter to newsletter. So you mm-hmm. could say, oh, this person has an Instagram. Let's say you have a, you have a podcast and let's say that person mm-hmm. has an Instagram following and you go to them and say, Hey, I'll mention your Instagram on my podcast would you mention my podcast on your Instagram or, you know, whatever, my newsletter, right? So that's, that's a a huge way to do it. And then the third is, I know it it sounds sort of trite, but like, you know, consistency, like newsletters, it's a long game. It's not a, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not a like, oh, you're going to go viral and, and whatever. But, and the other thing I would say too, with that is it really needs to, you need to push people not push them, but you need anyone that who discovers your content, that discovers your thing. You need to nudge them towards your newsletter. You want it to really mm-hmm, be the mm-hmm. sort of central hub of your audience. And if you're not talking about it, if you're not mentioning it, if you're not giving them a reason to sign up for it, like here's a very simple thing that you could do, right? You could in your newsletter always include an excerpt from a clip from the podcast that wasn't on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Which would then mean mm-hmm. in every podcast, you could go sign up for my newsletter to get the bonus clip of the week or whatever. Lovely. You're giving them a reason to do so as opposed to what a lot of podcasters do, which is like sign up to my newsletter and I'll send you when the new episode comes out. And people mm-hmm. are like, well, I'm already subscribed in Apple. Like, what do I need that for? Right? So you need to you need to make sure that whatever you're doing, you're giving people an incentive and a reason to subscribe. As opposed to, because otherwise it's like, why would they, right? What's in it for them? Thank you, Josh. So look, I've just got three final questions. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Is that okay? So the first is just to get you, I'd love to get your perspective on Twitter, where it's at. How, so just I'll whack the questions into one. How has your Twitter journey been? Secondly, what's your sense about where Twitter's at? Are you seeing the engagement being similar to as it was before Elon Musk came in or has it changed a little bit? And thirdly, what's the future of where you think it's going? I love Twitter. Uh, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of it in general. I've used it for years. It's by far my favorite, uh, social platform. Uh, I have always felt that besides the fact that I like writing, I have always felt that Twitter is really an ideas platform. Mm -hmm. Whereas other platforms, you know, Instagram's more image and, and, you know, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I'm not a fan of any of the Elon stuff. I'm not a huge fan of the direction it's going. That has not led me to abandon the platform because I also think Twitter, just like all these platforms, they are what you make of them. 
So mm -hmm. you control who you let into your yep. feed. So if you're seeing poison and you're seeing terrible stuff, that's on you, not the platform. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm not a fan of the direction, I'm by no means am I bailing on it. Sure. And I, you know, and I think ultimately it's a work in progress. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it's better than it was by any mm -hmm. stretch of the mm -hmm. imagination, but there are some things that, you know, I like long form tweets is a nice feature to have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, to me, I, you know, my experience on the platform, even though I think overall it's not headed in a great direction and disagree mm -hmm. with a lot of sort of the way they've done things. Mm -hmm. It is not, I still get a ton of value from it. My mm -hmm. speed mm -hmm. is still great because I follow people that are great and sharing stuff and I get a lot of interaction there and, and all of that. So it's, it's a mixed, it's a mixed bag. And I, and I think it is, you know, I don't know where it's ultimately all headed. I think, you know, from a business standpoint, I, think it's a bit of a disaster and it's not mm -hmm. going to have a happy ending for Elon. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. But from a user perspective, I don't have, I have started using LinkedIn more than I used to. So I guess mm -hmm. in some ways mm -hmm. that's a bit of a check on, we'll see what happens with Twitter. But at the end of the day, this is where it goes back to newsletter and email list. I'm not worried about losing my audience because I can email whatever I want to use. Like I have a direct connection to my audience. So I don't yeah. feel vulnerable in that way. And so pivoting on to my second final question, when you are waking up and you're having a shocker of the day, you know, those days that we, we, we all have, where it's just not happening for you. And mm -hmm. even that capacity, you know, you're not feeling co connected to that capacity to create or to ship. What, what are your mechanisms? You know, if you're having a rough, rough ride on a particular day, uh, just something maybe you could share for someone who, who might be having a, you know, a bit of a difficult one as winter kicks in. I would say that, you know, I work for myself, so my schedule is largely my own. So I don't put too much pressure on my, you know, if I'm not feeling it, I'm not feeling it and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, you know, I work, well, I work every day and work a relatively normal schedule. You know, mm -hmm. I'll do my newsletter on Saturdays. I'll, you know, some days not really work much in the afternoon. Like, so mm -hmm. I can, I, nice. you know, I can sort of, you know, I, I'm able to sort of play with it in that way. The other thing I would say is when I am feeling sort of stretched all over the place or overwhelmed, uh, I will really try to narrow in and simplify and focus. Right. Mm -hmm. So I will as opposed to looking at this whole to-do list of things, I'll literally start a separate thing and be like, I'm put three things on it and I'm doing these three things in this order and that's it. And then when I do those, then I'll worry about everything else. Right. So trying to sort of just narrow in and focus and, and, and understand like, okay, if I don't feel like I can write something now, well then, okay, I'll do something else now. Right. I'll, whatever it is, go through emails or, you know, do something else. So, uh, I just kind of adjust as, as it goes and yeah. Beautiful words, Josh, especially because you're so consistent, but it's also lovely to hear that you use that sort of philosophy of limitation, even on a bad day, you keep yourself going by taking that, that philosophy <laughs> of limitation and just, you know, keeping the, the wheel moving. So my last question, there's a struggling, 
artist or musician or someone, the one person business out there, perhaps feeling a little bit overwhelmed with everything, doubting themselves. What would Josh Spector's message of encouragement, something just to give them a bit of fire and a bit of keeping on going, what would you say to them? It's funny because it depends a bit on what they're, <laughs> what they're struggling with, but uh, of course. I would, I would say, I mean, a couple different things here, I guess. So the first is, you know, I think in general, not enough people do things. So mm -hmm. they talk about doing things. They think about doing things. They come up with excuses not to do things. So the first thing I would say is like, do things. Like if what's holding you back is you're like, I feel like this isn't working or I'm failing or whatever, or I can't do this or whatever. Like just shrink it down, simplify it, start to do, take steps in that direction that actually involve doing right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot mm -hmm. of times I think people feel stuck and it's like, well, you're stuck because you're not actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So like, even if it's, even if it's small, like I said, right. If you're stuck and you're like, oh, I can't write a song. Okay. Well, can you do a riff and put it out mm -hmm. there? Like, mm -hmm. you know, so I think that that's, yeah. that's the first thing I would say is you need to do things. The other thing I would say is I think that, you know, failures are, really more valuable than people realize because what I think is the actual most dangerous thing is a sort of stagnant state. So if you're thinking about doing a podcast or writing a book or doing whatever, right? The problem is not doing that thing and not working or you even trying to do it and being like, oh, I don't really want to do this because if that happens, you have learned valuable information because now you can remove it and go, you know mm -hmm. what? I thought I wanted mm -hmm. to write a book. I don't actually want to write a book. Yeah. So I can put that aside. When you don't actually pursue it, when you don't go to the failure part or try to do the thing, it's forever just taking up space mm -hmm. and it's preventing you from moving on and doing other things. Right. I, you know, having jobs, having opportunities, having anything that you, that you pursue and it doesn't work out or you hate it or you don't like it or whatever. Right. Being able, getting that information of going, oh, you know what? I thought I wanted that. It turns out I don't want that is mm -hmm. really valuable. And I think that can be really helpful. Like, you know, maybe you're stuck for a reason. And maybe that reason is you don't actually want to do that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a time in, my life where I actually left my job to become a screenwriter. I wanted to be a screenwriter mm -hmm. and I was doing it and I was making some progress and I was writing scripts and this and that, but it was a real struggle. Like I had to force mm -hmm. myself to, you know, to write. And mm -hmm. then, then I started getting into social media and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And I had to pull myself away from working on that. And I was like, it became very clear to me of like, well, wait a second, maybe the reason why I'm struggling so hard with the screenwriting thing is I don't actually want to do that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe what I want to do is the thing, maybe I should lean into the thing that I'm doing with all my free time and have trouble getting mm -hmm. away from the computer as opposed to the thing that I have trouble forcing myself to sit down and do. Mm -hmm. People get caught up in what they can be successful at. And this is very true of people that are talented and multi-skilled and whatever, right? They go, oh, I could, I could do this. That they forget, they see all these opportunities. They forget that like, maybe you don't actually want to do that. I have no doubt mm -hmm. to this day, and maybe this is my own ego or whatever, but like, I have no doubt to this day that I could become a successful screenwriter if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I don't actually want to do that. 
right? <laughs> right? And I think you shouldn't have to like fight yourself to do it. Like maybe the yeah. answer is maybe the reason you're stuck is because you don't actually want to do that. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Go find, mm-hmm. you know, what, what is coming easy to you? What do you want to spend your time on? Like go lean into that as opposed mm-hmm. to just trying to sort of beat your head against the wall. Yeah. Which is, but by the way, sometimes things are hard. So just because it's hard doesn't mean like, I'm not saying like, Oh, just bail on anything, but you know, you have to sort of find, find that in there. And it's like, you know, are you, are you in a bad place because it's hard and you're impatient and it takes a lot of time? Or -hmm. are you in a bad place because you're pursuing a thing that maybe you thought you wanted to do that you don't actually want to do anymore. And you just won't give yourself permission to move on. But it's a beautiful message of just listening to yourself first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh Spector, thank you so very much. I'm just mind blown and there's so much that I personally will take away from this and go back to. And it's just a pleasure to meet you as well. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad you stuck with it for six months so we could have, <laughs> Thanks, so, so we could have this conversation. Dude, I'm coming back for you for a follow-up in a couple of years. Uh, All right. (laughs) See you later, Josh. Take care, my friend. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.